And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week, Ski Racing Media's official podcast. Let's do it. Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, ski racing is still canceled. Last time I checked, it's been about a week, which is sad for me here on a podcast that is literally called Ski Racing this week. Um, but the good news is this podcast can't get the coronavirus, so we're still kicking. Now, ski resorts are not still kicking. Basically, everyone in the U.S. and in most places in the world especially Europe, has been closed. I saw a lot of posts on Instagram and Facebook of World Cuppers doing their last run of the season for the foreseeable future. Sad stuff. But this show is going to be all about good stuff today. We're not letting the coronavirus get us down. The good thing about this podcast is that it is a very healthy thing to do while fighting the coronavirus, while social distancing uh, unless you're in a massive crowd of people all listening to this podcast. Uh, but I don't think I'm that famous yet. Now, it's also a good time to uh, get a touring setup or go hiking because it's one way to go skiing. And it's, it's a way to stay fit and it's pretty fun. It gives you appreciation for um, <laughs> how sweet lifts are because... It took me 45 minutes to get up a trail that is a um, three and a half minute high speed quad when the when when the mountains open. But anyway, I've got a great show for you lined up today. Very full, all good content, minimal talk of the coronavirus, which is what I think everybody needs right now. So. Tiger Shaw, the president of U.S. Ski and Snowboard, calls in to catch up. Disclaimer, we do talk a bit about the coronavirus, but I had to ask him. My grandfather, a native of Central Europe, gives me a call to sort out all the name pronunciations we've been struggling with this year. Thomas Walsh, the Paralympian, joins me in studio to enlighten us, talk Paralympics. I call U.S. ski teamer George Steffi, but end up getting his Aunt Betty on the phone, and we get to explain ski racing to her. It's fun. And the one and only Helmut Werher gives me a call from Austria to talk about social distancing. All right, let's get to it. Without further ado, Tiger Shaw. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You bet, Jimmy. It sounds like you're out of... You said yes. you're on the Peloton? Okay. Um, well, that's... I'll get, off. I'll get off in a few minutes, but that's what the background noise is. Yes. Okay. No worries about that. You got to... I know you're a busy man. You got to get in the the, uh, the workouts and you can. Um, so first things first, what everyone's talking about, obviously, is the coronavirus. And I think what you did uh, or, you know, what U.S. Ski and Snowboard did in terms of canceling the rest of competitions was the the only thing you could do, the right thing to do. Um, but just walk me through that past the past week and uh, and making those decisions and, and how everything is played out. Sure. Well, it's a it's an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah. Because so many people have so much at stake: organizers, clubs, 
athletes, qualifications, you name it. And at the same time, the situation was changing so quickly and moving from one there it looked, you know, I would say rather safe for us to hold outdoor events, yeah. practice social distancing, and try to, you know, be good models in this effort uh, to contain the virus. But if the whole world or the whole country was still moving around and holding events, it didn't seem wrong to continue them. That changed in a matter of days. Yeah, it was it was a really quick change, huh? It was, it was. And we were in the midst of, we were holding daily phone calls, both with mm-hmm. basically everybody within the organization and then also separate phone calls with every single organizing committee of an event, so U.S. Nationals with Aspen, Nastar with Aspen, yeah, uh, Moguls Nationals with Squaw, and of course, really intense conversations with the Lopet Foundation, who organized the now canceled World Cup race in Minneapolis, which was so sad. Oh, the cross country race. Jesse's chance, in, yeah, as the cross kind of one of the best cross country skiers in the world. To compete at home, we haven't had a home race in something like 30 years. Wow. And so that was just crushing. Yeah. And yeah, it's been a brutal week. So how does, is this going to give the, the team, the U.S. Ski and Snowboard, a hit financially? Was there a lot that you lost in, by not holding these events? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can only imagine that the pre-committed expenses, um, in some cases, there's revenue involved with sponsors, with TV rights, in the case of World Cup, with um, entry fees, in the case of NASTAR. I mean, I could go on and on, and we're just starting to tally that now, but it's going to be significant. It seems like it might be a tight um, financial year for the whole country for the whole world really um so how will the cancellations is there anything else that you're worried about or or that you're you're working hard to um uh you know make up for in the following year that the cancellations affected is there anything besides financials well you know because we were at least fairly far into march Mm-hmm. Um, there's always challenges when you have qualification systems based off series of events or championships yeah. and you can't hold them all. So we'll back into that, you know, in the coming weeks as we have meetings and make decisions in those areas. But yeah, I mean, the what ifs are really, are really, really torturous. I mean, every athlete yeah. feels that is what if I had been to that next race? What if I had had to race my race or competition of the year on that day? Well, we won't know now. So suddenly, um, it all ends. Yeah, I know. I know. I was affected by that too. Um, so, looking back on the year, what were some performances? Let's start with the women. What was the performance on the women's side in Alpine that made you really excited, or, or um, that you liked? Well, obviously, the women who were coming back from injury. Mm-hmm. You know, really, it was definitely. Uh, a tough one for Jackie Wiles, and she she had by far the most major injury of anyone on the, on any of our teams. Yeah, and she stuck it out, made it back at the World Cup level, held her own. Uh, Alice McKinnis coming back from a leg fracture, 
um, Breezy Johnson from new, two knee surgeries. Yeah. Um, you know, Alice uh, Merriweather having a pretty good year. And just there were a number of highlights in there where, you know, you really had to hand it to them. And, and really our entire women's team, well, and the men's has certain amazing bright spots too. And yeah. So you really kind of, you try to look through without hashing out any particular results. You you try to look through it and you look for the bright spots and the and the highlights. And the thing that yeah. I always look for and I think is really important, Luke Winters is a great example of this. And this is how Keegan got her start, where she suddenly was fast. And yeah, just like she, that. She pulled, yeah, and she pulled other athletes with her. And that can be such a shot in the arm of confidence for the athlete that does it, as well as the ones around them. Like, hey, if he or she can do it, I can too. And yeah. you see that happen over and over again. And I know Luke was unable to put together two runs all year, but the, the individual runs and the sections of runs that he had shows that he can be as fast as anybody in the world. Yeah, and, and I have faith in him pulling more slalom skiers with him. I do too. It, he just has shown, hey, we can do it, guys. Yeah, and and that's an important step. And from there, yes, you need to finish. And from there, yes, you need to have two great runs in a row. Um, but that comes with confidence. But just knowing, just having that one glimpse. I mean, I, had, I remember in my own career, you know, I got to about fifteenth in the world in GS and slalom, ranking wise, and had a bunch of six, seventh, and eighth, and ninths, that kind of stuff, and teens. And then in one particular race, in one run, I was third. And yeah. it just came together. And trying to get that back together again was a challenge. And that's why I was never ranked in the top ten. Yeah. And there are those that are. But that's it's hope for a super bright bright spot for the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the way things are going. and especially in, in, in slalom. And athletically, you know, as we've been just looking through our overall results and what our targets were, and we did pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, everybody points to Michaela, of course, because she's world dominant, and thank goodness that she is and that she is who she is. Yeah. And we know that she had massive challenges when Jeff died. And, uh, I mean, if you look back at some of the extraordinary things that happened this year, it's we are tougher and stronger as a result, but oh my God, the stuff that happened this year yeah. is just, who, who would have thunk it? I know. 2020 has definitely been a, 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 a tough start, but it, I think it'll give us some more grit for the future, hopefully. Yeah, sure. Um, so checking in on the, the athlete project. So that was basically, I think about a year ago, there was a consulting firm that came in and did pro bono work for the U.S. team and did a number of interviews um, and decided on a few things that the U.S. Ski and Snowboard needs to improve on. I think, was it specifically in Alpine or was it all over? No, it was across the board. Across the board. You're right. There were, there, there were three major points. Um, uh-huh. One was just generalizing quickly is that we, we do a pretty good job on the hill. Mm-hmm. You know, the logistics, coaching... Um, endemic coaching, meaning exactly within your sport and work on this and go do it again and work on this deliberate practice and, and the logistics of finding great training venues and having the travel work out well and support. And then where we were not as strong was uh, being great coaches off the hill. Now, there were mm-hmm. many coaches who are, and there are many coaches who 
didn't realize it was really an important part of their job because we hadn't told them. And there were some that needed some help there. And, you know, that's coach education. And so we stepped up in all three ways, looking for those attributes when we hire coaches now, making sure it's in their role and they understand it's part of their job and helping them with training and the Apollo project uh, that was funded by the Olympic uh, Paralympic committee uh, really worked out well, and mm-hmm. we're going to keep our pedal to the metal in that sort of supporting things. And uh, nice. you know, the other the other two things were uh, when I don't do well, uh, I get ignored. Uh-huh. So again, it's the cultural leadership aspect of if you have a team of five athletes and two are kicking butt and three are struggling, you need to really focus on those three. And that's hard because you really want to focus on the ones that are doing well. It's rewarding. They're in a good mood. Um, The ones that aren't, they're trying to get out of a trough in their career. They're the ones that need the most help. And so creating and bearing and and helping them and focusing on them is something that we are committed to that wasn't as clearly, again, stated before. And and then the other part was really communicating with athletes um, when they're injured. And so incredibly difficult. You immediately come off the road, sometimes go into surgery. You have all the you know, the post-traumatic aspects of surgery and recovery, the physical, the mental part. Mm-hmm. Then your team continues around the globe. So how do we mitigate that feeling of loss and being disconnected? Yeah. So those were three, three major things. And then there were a number of others that resulted in 12 different things we call the Athlete Project Initiatives. And okay. they... Many of those initiatives are focused on what I just mentioned, as well as and those are the mechanisms. And that's kind of like how you're planning to make change. Those are like the the kind of concrete plans, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And so, what have you gotten some feedback um, the, as this year has gone on? Like, what is one thing that you've gotten feedback that has has definitely been better? Uh, so, you know, the communication is such a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. So we put in place uh, athlete liaisons that give us feedback on how their team is feeling mm-hmm. and how things are going. Um, we also have athlete mentors, older athletes assigned to younger athletes. Uh, we have an online really quick down and dirty survey system called the barometer that allows uh, instant feedback from teams, either anonymously or non-anonymously. And so, you know, based on all that feedback, the liaisons and through the barometer and, and spot interviews with athletes, we think we've improved a lot. We have a year-end survey uh-huh. that will also tell us, and we have much more open line of communication. And what really made it clear to us is that we've got to be so much more careful to look at things through the lens of the eye of the athlete. Yeah. And oh, definitely, yeah. The, that's what matters. Yeah. And McKinsey, the McKinsey study, the athlete project, we called it, they, it was a third party doing a deep dive. Yeah. And it gave everybody a chance to say how they really felt. And we heard it. Yeah. And it was powerful. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did. And I, and I, and I think it's important to, to keep putting the emphasis on the athletes. And what, um, is the, is there one thing that has been the, what's been the hardest thing to fix? What's, What's just been a challenge this year? Well, all the aspects of great coaching off the hill. So whether it's making sure people understand how important it is, uh, helping them turn on their skill set in that area and giving them training and then tracking that it's happening. 
is yeah. incredibly difficult when you have 60 coaches. And yeah. I'll be frank that by far the most difficult team to institute change is Alpine. And the reason is because of the number of independent pods. So yeah, in Alpine, men and women are separated. So that doubles the number of teams versus the other sports. Then you have four levels, A, B, C, D, where most sports have two, some three. And then you also have different disciplines within each. So in A team, you have speed tech. And so that, that just mushrooms into a far larger set of coaches traveling independently of each other. And how do you institute cultural change across such a diverse group, including many people that aren't Americans and therefore aren't in the U.S. as often? So yeah. it's been a big challenge, but Jesse has led that way. And, and, and the Apollo group has helped a lot. And we've so made what is the change, what is the Apollo not group, as far as by we the way. need to go. The Apollo group is an independent company that specializes in coach education uh, mm. in person as well as remote and they were they were contracted by the USOC and they are um, assigned to various different groups and they got together with the coaches when we have our athlete summit in the spring in April uh-huh. and then they traveled around with different satellite groups so it's really an outside coach cultural leadership consulting firm is the best way oh, to think of it. So was um, Pete Nashak, was he from Apollo? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he was a, a Navy SEAL. He worked with with my group in Mount Hood and now is a, you know, a coach consultant and, and worked through yes. how we work, not only how the coaches were coaching and coach education, but he also worked with us how the, uh, you know, how the team worked together. So we, we actually got a lot of good things out of that. And we started doing uh, team debriefs at the end of every training session. We'd go through and everybody would get a chance to, you know, say one thing they learned, one thing they're going to work on next time. So that was definitely helpful. Um, so I know this is, this is kind of the money question, no pun intended. It's the question that all the athletes have every year. And how... This year was awesome. So I'm talking about funding. This year was awesome because the team was able to fund A, B, and C teams uh, with the help of the B and C team fundraiser um, and get the D team uh, fees way down. Uh, how, how is it looking for next year? Can you, can you say at this point? Yes, we're absolutely committed to keeping it at that high level of an increased level of funding. Okay. Last, last year, so... Um, right now we're in fiscal 20 In fiscal 20, we were able to fund about a million dollars more of athlete travel than we were in fiscal 19. When we committed to doing that, we guaranteed we would not go backwards, no matter what, no matter the financial challenges of the organization that comes first is the teams and the athletic funding. So So does that mean that you... You guys would even go into debt to make sure that the athletes are funded or, or take yeah, out. We, you know. we would never intentionally plan a budget with a deficit. Uh-huh. We would structure ourselves with that being the first thing that gets funded is really the best way to think of it. That, that and the team. Okay. So to have the athletes travel, you need to have a complete intact team. So, so it all comes together as a package. Yeah. But that is why we exist and that is our, our number one priority. Okay. And if we have to choose to not do some other things that aren't directly athlete supported related on snow activities or dry land training yeah. or 
medical, we'll we'll do what it takes. Wow, that's that, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, we are near the end, but a question I ask every guest on the show is Eastern Mountains or Western Mountains, and I have a tally going. What is it for you? Well, I would say Eastern Mountains definitely spank the Western Mountains any day <laughs> that the weather is nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So all you can't beat Eastern skiing, but I'm prejudiced. I grew up there. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody ask is prejudiced. So, um, that's just, um, it's just, we're going to keep us, uh, keep a running tally. I think we had Doug say, we had Doug Lewis say East. We had Steve Perino say West and we had Darren Ralph say West. So now we're at two, two, two. And I don't have a say because I'm supposed to be a, uh, a journalist and unbiased. So, <laughs> okay. That's how it we goes. We have a stalemate. We have a stalemate. On to, on to the next one. Well, thanks for taking my yeah. call. You bet. Now, this whole athlete project thing that Tiger was talking about has a long backstory. And if you don't know the details, the basic gist of it is a couple of years ago, all of the athletes of the all the alpine athletes of the US team got together and met and said these are four things that really need to be changed with the um, you know management and the higher ups of the US team and there's the whole structure and culture of the team and they brought them to tiger and the other higher ups on the team and uh, said this needs to be changed so the fact that it they're, that they're making an effort, that there is an athlete project, that there are initiatives, um, is really huge. And um, I know there may be people out there, there are definitely people that have had bad experience with the U.S. team, and they may have been wanting me to push Tiger a bit more, to dig a little deeper, um, because, you know, Tiger does give political, you know, very well-rounded political answers, but you have to understand that this is progress and the fact that tiger was so clear about funding coming first above all else athlete funding which is something that athletes have been calling for and begging for and taking every angle for in the past 15 years the fact that that is first is is really a huge step um, so i want to thank tiger um, for for taking my call and making it so easy to get a hold of him now we move on to my grandfather, who is a native of Central Europe, uh, Czech Republic to be exact, and he is an expert in saying these names that we are struggling so much to pronounce. So without further ado, Dan Krupka. I'm glad that you, um, at least I'm, I'm delighted to help you out with these pronunciations. I don't know whether you had a chance to look at the stuff I sent you. I did briefly, um, but I'm thinking we can we can uh, you know explain it for the listeners. The first name on the list is Zan Kranjets. Yeah, yeah. Did I how is that? Did I say that correctly? Uh, that's that's pretty close. Mm -hmm. But the little uh, upside down little uh, circumflex accent on uh, top of the Z. No, no, the Z into a Z. So Jean, Jean okay. Kranjets. Jean Kranjets. Okay. The Slovenian, the GS gear. Okay, yeah. and then... Okay, 
Evicha Kostelich. Did I say that right? Well, first of all, all these names um, will be will have a stress on the first syllable. Okay. So, and the C is um, always a T-S sound. Um, T-S, okay. Unless it has a little accent on it. Okay. So it's uh, Ivica Kostelic. Ivica Kostelic. Okay, so it's more of a C-H sound when the C has that, um, that dot above it, that yeah, accent. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, moving on to the, the, uh, the Croatian nowadays who just won a GS, Philip. Zub, Philip Zubchit. How do, did I say yeah. that right? That's good, Philip Zubchit. Okay, Philip Zubchit. Um, and, no, and, and no, no, Jimmy. It's uh, at the end. It's a. It's also a ch sound. Oh, it is. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, this is apparently Croatian. That when you with that little accent on the um, last c, mm-hmm. turns it into a ch sound. Okay. So both the C's uh, in Zubchich are sounded uh, as a ch. Okay, okay. And now here's a fun one. There's no accents on it. I think you just say it Adam Zampa or Adam Zampa. Well, well it's Adam. It's not Adam. Uh-huh, it's, it's Adam. 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 And the A is like, you know some German, right? So the yeah. A is like a German A. Okay. And actually, he should have that little... Uh, upside down, the little check mark over the Z. Okay. So his name is really Jampa. Oh, okay, interesting. So the, the Slovakian guy, he's been yeah, he's been bib thirty something for a while now. He he punches it in there every once in a while. So now moving on to the women, um, yeah. one of the best slalom skiers in the world right now, Petra yeah. Petra Vlova. That's how I say it. How how is it, should it be said? It's um, Petra Vlova. Petra Volhova. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Um, it, it sounds kind of funny, but it's not. Yeah, you had no trouble saying it, right? Yeah, Volhova. Volhova. Okay, and then um, the Slovenian uh, tech skier Meta Hrovat. Uh, Hrovat. Hrovat. So Meta Hrovat. Hrovat. So, so they. All these um, Slova- Slovaks and Slovenian Croatians roll their R's, right? Okay. Meta so, uh, I don't, when you is, do, you roll your arms in German. Um, I don't think they, do you, they they do. I don't really know. They, I'm not particularly do. good at it. Okay. Anyhow, yeah. so it's uh, Meta Hrobat. Okay. And then the Slovenian speed skier Ilka Stuhek. I I don't know. Uh, no. no. This, all the, the C is always a T-S sound. Okay. Unless it has that little Unless accent. it has the accent. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Stuhets. Okay. Stuhets, yeah. Gotcha. And then the uh, Super G gold medalist from yeah. Czech, Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic, excuse me, hey. um, Esther Ledechka? No. Uh, it's, um, the last name is Ledecka. Ledecka. So it, the accent is on the first syllable, uh-huh. and the C, yeah, and, and the C is a TS, so it's Esteleretska, and the little accent on the A at the end uh-huh. turns it into a a, a, um, a sound. Okay, Esteleretska. So, so the A in general, whether you know any of these uh, languages, 
uh, the A is like the sound of uh, uh, A in America. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And, and it, if you really want to say it correctly, it's Esther Leretska. Esther Leretska. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All go. right. Well, um, Grampy Dan, thank you for uh, telling us how to pronounce um, some European names that we were struggling with. Okay, well, glad to be your help. Okay, I'm going to run through all the names just to make sure you got them and I've got them. So we've got Jean Kronietz, Ivica Kostelic, Philip Zubcic, Adam Jampa, Petra Vulhova, Meta Hrovat, Ilka Stuhetz, Esther Leretska. Sweet. I think I got them all. So, one thing to mention about all of this is that when we talk about the accents, I had to look up the names on Google to get the correct accents above all the letters because Fist doesn't do accents. Um, they don't even do apostrophes like in the name uh, O'Brien or O'Connor. So that's why it's maybe it's hard for us to pronounce or we just don't know the accents. <laughs> and uh, something my grandfather told me that was a nice comparison was, you know, if we keep pronouncing all these Europeans' names wrong, it's the same thing as, as them calling me Yimmy. And that's the last thing I would want. So I think it's worth the effort. Now, while we're here... I have an inside source that has let me know there are a few names that are said incorrectly very often, even by announcers and analysts. So, we're here to settle it. The French slalom skier is Clément Noël, not Clement Noël. He's not a Clementine fruit. Then there's the six foot seven Swiss slalom skier, and it's pronounced Ramon Zinhoisern. There's a bunch of letters in that last name, but just remember Zehnhäuser. Now, the third one is Alexi, and a lot of people say Pintero. It's actually Pantero. And there's no, you don't say the yes. It's Alexi, not Alexis. So, moving on to our next guest. We've actually got a lot of guests this show. I'm pretty excited. Thomas Walsh, he's a Paralympian from Vail, and I had him in the studio about a week and a half ago. Before we get to that, I want to talk to you about a sponsor of the show, the World Pro Ski Tour, which is still available for viewing, even though the races aren't going to happen the rest of the year. There's the WorldProSkiTour.com. That's WorldProSkiTour.com. And they have a documentary series called Life in Between Gates, which is on Outside TV and more. So check the website, go on Outside TV, and um, get psyched for next season. Now, without further ado, Thomas Walsh. So I would now like to welcome on the show Thomas Walsh. He is a para-alpine skier from Vail, uh, born and raised. Yes. Born and raised. One of the few. One of the few, yeah. One of the few. I can say that I was not born and raised here. Um, and I'm an implant. Um, but you're, you won World Cups, right? Uh, I have had a little bit of luck on the World Cup circuit. A little bit of luck, um, yeah. Over, over my six years, I've managed to get around... Uh, 18 World Cup podiums, uh -huh. and uh, this year I was fortunate enough to secure a third win. Nice. So, so have you, and but no um, 
Paralymp- you had one Paralympics, right? 2018. Correct. And no medals there. No medals there. So you're still in the hunt. Still in the hunt. Still going for it. That's the uh, ultimate goal. Nice. That's, so that's the goal. That's the Keep goal. Keep going. Paralympics. Beijing. Yeah, we'll see. It's I can a, see it now. It's going to be an interesting time. Uh, skiing in Asia. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, It'll be interesting. Uh, it looks like they're, they're doing good preparations, but personally not my first choice to, to ski race for the Paralympics in China, but... Yeah, well, I know some Chinese, actually. I took some Chinese in seventh grade. Really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you got to teach me some of that. I used to know how to say I like to ski a lot. That's um, an important one. <laughs> that's an important one, yeah, because you can just tell people, I like to ski, and they know you're the, this, the guy who likes to ski. <laughs> um, but, so I, go- I Googled you to do my research, you know? Uh-oh. And you have a New York Times article and a Wikipedia page. So you've made it. You know, I, maybe on the internet, I guess. Yeah. I've, I've had some success there and uh, been a part of a few articles for a few different things. Yeah. Um, I might need to edit that Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Put a little more in there. We'll yeah. see. There's not much. There's only a couple lines. You know, I guess that's all you need. But we're waiting for the line that says gold medalist right there. Amen, Jim. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Um, so it also says you're an LW4 classification. What does that mean? So within para-alpine skiing... Uh, there's three different categories, mm-hmm. sitting, standing, and visually impaired. And w- within each of those categories, there's different classifications based on your impairment or level of disability. So LW4 is the, the classification that I'm in, mm-hmm. and that basically equates to people who are racing with a minor impairment in one limb. Uh, this okay. historically has been people who have a below-the-knee amputation. Gotcha. So you're racing against guys with one leg. Correct. Okay. And they just factor your, you have a, like a time factor, like a percentage, right? Correct. And um, so you were telling me the, like basically like guys will set straight courses because it's hard to make up a lot of time on someone who has like a bigger handicap than you on a course that's not that technical. Correct. And... And you can kind of almost equate it to the able-bodied skiing world, mm-hmm. where certain countries will practice a certain set, yeah. and that is, you know, quote unquote, an advantage they'll have over the field. Mm-hmm. Um, given each nation's primary disability classification, uh, they'll take that into advantage given the factor. Gotcha. So they'll set a course to ultimately help someone with a specific disability yeah. um, over the rest of the field, and. and you know, that's the game, that's part of skiing. So yeah. for me, it's been really mentally challenging to move past that and focus on simply the skiing, no matter what. what you can do, it, yeah. Exactly. Um, in, in the standing class, in, sorry, in the standing field right now, uh, there's a lot more people with disabilities related to cere- cerebral palsy or neurological diseases uh, huh. that impair their, their muscles or whatever it may be. Um, but that has been giving them some, somewhat of an advantage over the rest of the field. And then in line with that, you also have the factor system, which yeah. is what you talked about. Like, the, you, the like when you're watching on TV, you see the percentage like in the top corner or something like that. Yes, yes. So, so you'll, you'll have a raw time going, but based on whatever factor time you have, it'll say for me it's usually 98 or 97%. So you have basically no handicap. I, I'm close to it. I'm one yeah. of the more physically capable athletes on, mm-hmm. on the circuit. Yeah, and so you um, are missing uh, a big chunk of your pelvis, right? Correct, yeah. To, to cancer. Correct. Uh, and that, 
um, affects how like how much like it's your right side. It is my right side. So your right footers, um, like how do you have to compensate on your right footers? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And as I've developed over the years and gotten stronger and gotten more confident, um, I'm starting to have to stand over a little bit more. Yeah. And and every day is a different gamble and and trying to figure out how to you know adequately structure myself over the initiation of the turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's got to be hard because you, you you don't have the same um, like in, internal external rotation control that people have. Correct, and and part of that was when some of my pelvis was resected, yeah. they removed uh, the obturator nerve uh, in my right side. So what does that mean then, that nerve? You know, that's a, that's a big scientific thing, but <laughs> what I can tell from in my own you know, body is that uh, I struggle with some you know, rotation uh, in my right leg, yeah. as well as bringing my, my right leg towards my body. I'm not sure what you'd call that. Yeah, I don't know what you call that, but all I know is when I focus on my cues and skiing, I focus on, you know, rotating my knees in and keeping my feet under me so it's definitely it's got to be hard yeah it's a challenge and uh, yeah. i've come over some, some ideas i've put a couple uh you know cantings on my boot to okay. try and correct some yeah. of that stuff yeah and i you know i just learned this today but you were huffing and puffing at the bottom of the course thomas and i trained today at Vale, and uh you have 50 percent of your lung capacity roughly of that yeah I, and how they do they factor that in so Paralympic skiing in the para-alpine world, uh, I qualify based on my physical impairments. And so my physical impairment comes from my pelvic amputation. Uh -huh. I also am living with lymphedema, which is a swelling disease in my right leg because of oh, my, okay. my uh, resection. So that is something that's challenging on its own to put in my boot. But things like lymphedema as well as you know, my resection from my lungs, that's not really uh, factored into my, my disability. Huh, okay. So you just have, it's just an extra, you know, challenge. You gotta it's, it's the obstacle. bonus. Yeah, you know? it's the bonus. Yeah. So you went to uh, Savannah, it's SCAD, which stands for? The Savannah College of Art and Design. Art and Design. Um, so, you, so you said you stopped skiing for a while, right? I did. While I you went there? I was there at GMBS with you. Went to GMBS, yeah, I remember that. Back when, yeah. back when Jimmy was shorter than me. Not so much anymore. Uh, but I graduated and I, I had had enough. I proved to myself that I could ski. Uh, it, was, it was pretty yeah. rough for me there. I, I yeah. had to come back from a lot and uh, moving away from home after having cancer was a good personal victory and a good personal challenge. Yeah. And then I decided to focus on something else. I wanted to go and do uh, art, which is something I'm very passionate about, uh, mostly theater and acting. And so I went to SCAD for a year, enjoyed it, loved it, uh, really cultured myself in the South and then decided to come back to Paralympic skiing when I learned that I could qualify. That must have, uh, I mean, that's, that must have been a huge change because, um, like, I know a lot of people who after GMVS stopped skiing, and it's just like, it's it's a huge lifestyle change, especially to stop skiing and go to kind of a different culture in the South. How like was that was that change different uh, or diff difficult? How'd you deal with that? It's, it's an interesting one. I I guess I never really thought of that because I, I miss skiing every day. Yeah. Obviously. Um, coming from Vail and you know going to school with you in Vermont, you're around the mountains, you're around the snow. Uh, the South has no snow, so it was a little bit challenging. Uh, I didn't get as much snow time that that first year I was away, yeah. um, so I missed it. I missed it a whole lot, yeah. and I I knew 
you know, when I, when I was sick and when I went back to skiing, I knew that I wasn't quite going to be able to get to where I wanted to in the able-bodied skiing world. You know, that was never really in, yeah. in, in the goals. Because you were a really good racer young before, the, before you lost your, you know. Yeah, I think I was okay. I've, I've seen pictures of you. I saw a picture of you on the podium uh, of some uh, U12 race probably with Nick Santanello and uh, Alex Lever. Yeah, that was a funny yeah. one. Alex posted that because uh, Nick just finished his, his career and we were all little rippers around here in Vail. And, yeah. and I'd say I was pretty good, but I was always going to be a little short guy. I was going to be, you know. It was gonna be an uphill battle, but I was holding my own. I made it to JOs and all those things yeah. here in the Rocky Division. Yeah. Um, and so you um, sell yourself short, I think, in theater. You didn't talk much about that, and I'd love <laughs> to get into that because I remember you at GMVS. We were in Godspell together, the the musical. Um, and how has that, um, you know, affected your life? And like, do you take any of that into skiing? Absolutely. Uh, I was actually thinking about that after we talked today on the hill about yeah. my breathing. Um, just a little backstory on that. I, I was always involved in art growing up. Mm -hmm. I started playing a lot of instruments when I was younger. Uh, I was in my first show, Tiny Tim, when I was six years old here in, in Vale Valley. Just you know, a little community theater. Yeah. And from there, it just kind of expanded. I, I started doing dance and ballet and singing and playing instruments. and. Uh, it was a whole different side to kind of contrast the athletics. And the dance and the theater have helped me immensely. Uh, my spatial awareness, my balance work, uh, those things, and choreography, as we talked yeah. about when we were in the musical. Like body awareness. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing how to control your movements, knowing how to pinpoint, those are directly related to skiing. And then for me, one of the biggest things I realized in college is I had to take voice classes and understanding the movements of breathing and how to control my heart rate. And mm -hmm. that has helped me immensely in my mental game, the start game. Um, you know, learning different strategies of how to calm the body, how to hype the body, how to yeah. you know, breathe through turns, where I need to focus more on, on the energy in my body uh, has definitely had an impact on my results and, and my success. That's really cool, yeah. And I can say the same. Um, I remember those days watching you dance on the stage. <laughs> it was fun, yeah. I had no clue what I was doing, um, but it was fun. Um, I'll, I won't deny that. Uh, do you want to sing us a few lines? I'm all good, Jimmy. <laughs> put me on the spot here. Those, I still, I still have that that like first lines of the musical like stuck in my head. Like we Let's rehearsed that so Let's many hear times. It. Let's no, hear it. no, I can't, I can't. Um, I, uh, I had, a, I've had a cold recently, oh, so I'm kind of husky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Usually, in interviews, I like to give people a chance to plug anything. You have any 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 uh, sponsors, people you're thankful for, things like projects you're working on, you want people to know about? Yeah, uh, I'd plug it this week. Um, you know, two things: uh, the Paralympic ski world is pretty small. Yeah, there's not a lot of us, and uh, unfortunately, within the U.S., we don't have a lot of uh, overlap amongst US ski and snowboarding. Almost not. Yeah. Which growing up here was interesting. We had, we had a couple Paralympians in Vail and I didn't know anything about them. Um, so once I finally got immersed into that world, uh, I learned that there's a vast community of, of people with physical impairments out there skiing. So uh, if you guys get a chance, you know, the listener, check out, you know, Paralympic skiing. Um, 
Yeah. Listen quick, up, listen up, listeners. Yeah, hit a quick Google search. There's there's a lot of funky stuff out there, and seeing dudes rip down a hill in the mono ski or various it's legit. It, it's spooky. Yeah. It yeah, is, it's it legit. is insane how I, fast these guys go. Yeah. I watched a race the other day, and yeah, it's I mean it's the real deal. It's I was just excited watching Paralympics as I was watching you know the World Cup. Yeah, it's uh, a little the, bit different. And, it's and different. It kind of yeah. keeps the, the body guessing and the mind guessing when you're watching something new to see how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I just want to thank all of that community. And, um, you know, we got, a, we got a great team right now. We have eight, eight rostered athletes on the U.S. Paralympic team, mm-hmm. uh, various staff. And we take it just as serious as everybody else does. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about it. Our community is so heartwarming and giving back. And, you know, one day I'd, I'd really love to see kind of, kind of a gap bridged so yeah um, i'm trying to think of ways that i can get some of our teams together you know maybe that'd be sweet team and the disabled yeah. team because we're all out there representing the same country exactly and we're, exactly. we're doing the same thing we need some more usa togetherness cool. and i i'm sure like we could uh you know the the u.s ski and snowboard team could learn a lot from the paralympic team and uh, you know it goes both ways, both ways yeah. it goes so both ways yeah but how would is it are the results on this so it's kind of funky how it works we we do have a small notary on fist they do kind of post that we have races um but our primary you know website is world para alpine skiing world para alpine skiing.com i believe so okay go there people and check it out um and I, I was I saw it on TV or maybe it was a live stream. Where do you where do you watch it? So it, it's uh, uh, kind of an uphill battle with us. Last year we had uh, live streams, broadcasts. Uh-huh. This year we don't quite have that due to funding issues. Oh, really? um, there's kind of a big sponsor dropout, so we have live streams uh, sometimes on the Facebook page uh-huh. uh, from the local organizations. Other than that, there's live timing on the World Powerline scheme. Okay, gotcha. Um. Any, any, uh, you're wearing a hat. You got some sponsors. Wearing a hat. We, uh, our team is getting some funding from the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, Toyota, Helly Hansen, BP. And that just changed. It used to be USOC. It used to now be USOC. Now it's USOPC, right? Exactly. So that's a good improvement. It's a great improvement for the movement, yeah. the Paralympic movement. That's good. I love that. And we, we also, this past summer, got equal pay for Operation Gold. Oh, really? Which was a huge battle. Um, we wouldn't receive the same amount of award money for world champs or Paralympic medals. As, as like the normal Fist World Cup? As able-bodied athletes, yeah. I hate, I'm sorry, able-bodied no, it, athletes. Yeah, it's a, it's that's a, the right term. That is I don't like term. to say normal because yeah, <laughs> that's, no, that's, I, I don't like that. Okay, able-bodied <laughs> athletes. Um, okay, fun question. I ask this to all the guests. Um, Eastern mountains or Western mountains? Just straight up? Just straight up. Western mountains. Yeah. I'm biased. I'm biased. I, I, yeah, I know you're biased. I, I have to ask, and I'm trying to be unbiased as a journalist. I just ask the question, and that's it. I don't tell everybody that I like the, the East is awesome. Um, hey, there's a, reason, there's a reason I went out there, though. I made yeah. that move. There's, there's a lot to it. I, I had to learn that not everywhere is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have, to, you have to appreciate 300 days of sun you get in Vail. Exactly. Yeah. And had to learn to ski on some ice and in the rain up in Triggerbush. Yeah. You know, there's, a little, there's plenty of that. Plenty of both of those things. Well, Thomas, thanks for uh, dropping by. Thomas is in studio with me right now. 
which is fantastic because most of my guests are on the phone. Um, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely, Jimmy. Thanks so much for having me. I apologize for the sound quality on that last interview. It wasn't optimal, I know. And uh, that is not my fault. It's my sound guy's fault. Uh, my sound guy happens to be me, and he happens to be still working on things, still new at this. So bear with me. It's going to only get better. And before we move on, I also want to mention that Thomas has a blog that you can check out at paralympic.org. Just click on the blog section and look for Thomas Walsh. Now, we've got a great end to the show for you. But before that, and before we get to George Steffi and his Aunt Betty, now we're nearing the end of the show, but that also means the best is yet to come. If you're a loyal listener, you know what I'm saying. Before that, I want to talk to you about another sponsor of the show, Sync Performance which exists to help the hardest working, highest performing, most technically proficient skiers out there reach their goals because it is developed by athletes for athletes. And no, you don't have to be a ski racer to wear or use their gear. It's high quality stuff and it's made for anybody who wants to go fast. So use the code SRPODCAST20 to take 20% off your next purchase. That's SRPODCAST20 at SYNC, S-Y-N-K, performance.com. Without further ado, we've got George Steffi, the U.S. ski teamer out of New Hampshire, who just got second in the NORAM GS Cup standings. Uh, Well, George, George Steffi, thanks for being on Ski Racing this week. Yeah, my pleasure, Jimmy. Glad to be here. So, um, first things first. Uh, who are you talking to there, sweetheart? Who, oh, nobody, Aunt Betty. It's just me. Who's that in the background, George? Hi, how you doing? I'm Betty Lou. Uh, hey, hey, Betty, this is uh, this is Jimmy Krupka. You're on Ski Racing This Week. How you doing? Oh, hey, Jimmy. One John Nation is Ski Racing. Um, well, but... <laughs> Betty, uh, ski racing is... Yes, Aunt Betty. Betty, you sure you should be smoking at your age? <laughs> if smoking doesn't kill me, the corona will. Okay, well, that's one outlook on life. Uh, so you asked what ski racing was, um, Betty, and I'm here to tell you that ski racing is uh, a sport where you slide down the snow on skis going around gates. Fastest one to the finish line wins. Well, it is a little dangerous, yeah. Is that the one where you go around the gates? Yeah, I, as I said before, uh, you go around the you go around the gates. I've seen that on the TV at the Olympic. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure you have. What what do you? Fast. Yeah, yeah, you go pretty fast. What do you think of it? Oh, I would never try something like that. No, I, I get on the treadmill twice, maybe three times a week. That's it for me. Well, that's pretty. That's all the adventure I need. <laughs> well, it's pretty impressive for you, Betty. Um, may I ask what? How old you are? Seventy-four, and not a day older. Seventy-four. Wow, still kicking. And so I'm. I'm I don't look it though. I'm, Let me tell you. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure you're you're a a, a great looking woman, Betty. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you, did you not know that your, uh, nephew, George, ski raced? 
No, I had no idea. Why didn't you tell me about this, George? Uh, uh, Betty, he's actually on the U.S. ski team. On the U.S. ski team? Holy camoly. Yeah. Can I have your autograph? All right, Betty. Well, we that's all the time we've got, but it was great to hear from you, and I'm, I'm, hopefully we'll have you on the show more often. Oh, I look forward to it, Jimmy. <laughs> so all right. <laughs> all right now. Bye-bye. Wow, I was not expecting Aunt Betty to barge in on that call like that. And the, the funny thing is, it's such a coincidence. Doug Lewis mentioned something uh, just as a you know general phrase about explaining something to your Aunt Betty when you're broadcasting. Um, and we did just that. Crazy. We'll have to get a real interview from George some other time. A couple things before the show ends I have a note from Edward Hale, our meteorologist. He is doing fine. He's healthy, don't worry, but he's just feeling a bit under the weather. Um, in other news, the Western Mountains are now beating the Eastern Mountains in our little survey we do with the guests. Thomas Walsh put the West up that extra vote this episode. And Helmut Verha will be on the show shortly. Actually, he's giving us a call right now. Helmet, thanks for being on the show. Thanks you, Jimmy. Helmet, everyone seems to have hung up their skis for the season, and ski tips won't be that helpful, but what about uh, tips about social distancing? Yes, yes, well, the, the social distancing is very, very important. You must be at least two meters away. Two, two meters, how many feet is that? This, this is six feet, approximately six feet. This is very, very important. What if I want to shake hands or hug someone I haven't seen in a long time, like a family member or something? No, this is, this is very important, Jimmy. What about um, working out at the gym? Can I, can I do that still? See, gyms are closed and nine. What about the post office? Uh, if you must use and send the letters, wash your hands immediately afterwards. All right, all right. Well, Helmet, thanks for the tips and thanks for being on the show. Well, we got less mail this week, only one letter. So a reminder, don't forget to send me mail, anything. Any requests you have, any suggestions, any questions, comments, or grievances, any good ski racing stories, anybody I should talk to. Let me know at ski racing this week at gmail.com or on Instagram at Jimmy underscore who underscore. Anyway, I got my one piece of mail was from the quarantined girls on Instagram. So I guess it's a bunch of British girls that are quarantined together. And they asked me for a shout out because they've got a home based workout vlog coming in the next couple of days for everyone stuck at home, including a squat workout inspired by River Radimus's GS skiing in Alta Badia. And there's emoji right there. So check them out uh, on Instagram at the underscore quarantined underscore girls. And they also did a, they wrote a song.
Okay, that's enough. Needless to say, they're the songbirds of the next generation. So, <laughs> check them out. I don't know where vlogs fall compared to podcasts on the whole social hierarchy thing. But, anyway, that's our show. I want to thank you all for listening to the show because the numbers are up. But, we got to keep going. We want I want to reach more people. So, subscribe, download, and tell your friends. Text them, email them the link. Now, last but not least, I hope this was a bright spot in your day. My goal is to, one, educate, and two, have some fun with it. I mean, let's take ourselves a little less seriously. If you smiled today, if you laughed, even if you laughed at me, I'm doing my job. So, until next time, guys, I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week, Ski Racing Media's official podcast. See you later.